0: Our passage today is going to come from Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and that when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me but they will let you live. Say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh f- called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that this was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had.
1: A seat. Let's pray as we get started, or as we, I guess, continue, as we get started in the sermon uh, this morning. Lord, pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, uh, illuminate our hearts and our eyes and our minds to see what it is that your word. Is um, presenting to us and to rightly apply it in our lives today. Lord, I pray that we would we would put our faith and our trust in you and in the promises that you've given us, um, because we are in you, Lord. I pray all these things in your name, Amen. Or if you remember, in two thousand seventeen there was a a solar eclipse that happened. Do you remember this? I remember going outside of my backyard and, you know, watching the sun disappear behind the moon. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, St. Joe, actually, St. Joseph was was supposed to be like the best place around here to watch this solar eclipse happen. And people came from all around, drove to St. Joe, rented houses, all sorts of craziness to be able to get a good... Um, look at the solar eclipse for like the the 72 seconds that it lasted, right? And it seemed really rare to me that this would happen. And, And it was for right here. However, it turns out, I didn't realize this, it turns out that eclipses happen like that somewhere in the world two to four times a year. Every single year, I I had no idea. I don't know. Maybe you guys are know your planets better than me. I didn't know. The reality is that the visible range of an eclipse is about fifty miles, about fifty miles in diameter, which seems really big to me initially. Until I think of it on the scale of the entire world, right? The sun facing approximately half of the globe at one time. Fifty miles is really a very, very small amount of area in comparison. See, where you are on the earth, it has to be lined up perfectly with the moon and with the sun so that from your perspective... The moon blocks the sun, even though the sun is 400 times bigger than the moon. Also something I had to look up, I had no idea, right? And it only happens, right, for that one minute because the earth and the moon and the sun, they, well, the earth and the moon keep moving, right? At least according to my uh, ninth grade science class, that's how it works. But for a minute, if you didn't know what was happening, if you weren't aware of all of that, total solar eclipse would be one of the freakiest things in the world to experience. Am I right? I mean, it's, it, was, it was weird. In the middle of the afternoon, the sky just starts to go dark. And all of a sudden, the, the sun disappears. It was, it was legitimately a strange experience. Now, last week, we saw these wonderful promises of God to Abraham, promises that are applied to us through faith in Christ. And we know that in Christ, we are brought, we are being brought into God's kingdom, right? And we will one day spend eternity with him in the new heavens and the new earth because of Christ and because of what God has promised. He made a way for that to happen. Christ and his good news, it's like this sun in our lives, this bright and shining spot in the heavens that lights up everything about our entire lives. But some of you may have come in this morning. Some of you this week, some of you today are faced with or have been faced with circumstances that seemed to make your lives grow dark. Over the next two weeks, Abraham is going to be faced with some difficult circumstances. And in both cases, they are circumstances that seem like they could put God's promises at risk. They seem like they could block out the promises of God to Abram in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. There's circumstances that, like the ones that you face, that might make us think, God, I thought you said, but God, I thought you said. Sometimes there is a proximity of certain circumstances in our lives, these moons, if you will, that orbit so closely from an earthly perspective that when things come close and they align just right, it blackens the skies of our lives. And in the course of history, it it might actually be a very isolated and momentary thing, but in the moment that you're experiencing them, it seems all-consuming and legitimately scary. In those moments, the critical question is this, what will win, fear or faith? Will we remember that the sun still dwarfs the moon even though it seems dark right now to us? That the sun still lights all life on earth even still when our skies are darkened? You see, right after God gives this promise we get these two situations that I was referencing where the promise of God seems at risk. And I don't think that's by coincidence. I think that that's written that way on on purpose, right? God's put together his word in that way. And we're going to look at one of them today, and we're going to look at the other next week. And I think they're next to each other to be examples of what it looks like when fear wins and what it looks like when faith wins. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about fear. This morning we'll see that what happens, we'll see what happens when believers let fear win in their lives and in their circumstances. We are going to look at this story in 3 chapters. That's how I'm going to frame it. The initial setting of the story is chapter 1, it's verses 10 through 13, and what we'll see there is that fear of man leads to disobedience. Then we'll have chapter 2, which is the climax or the conflict of the story in verses 14 through 16. And what we'll see there is that even when disobedience succeeds, it fails. And then the final chapter, the resolution, 17 through 20, God can fix our failures. That's where we're going this morning. Chapter 1. Chapter 1, fear of man leads to disobedience. The setting is this. There is a famine in Canaan, where Abram is sojourning, where he is living and dwelling in tents, and it forces Abram to take his whole crew, which is, you know, it's decent size, you know, he's got a pretty good crew, right? Take him down to Egypt to find some food. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? For those of you guys who are, uh, grew up in Sunday school class, this, this uh, may sound familiar. Hey, we're in trouble. We got to go to Egypt, get some food. It's foreshadowing, right? See, All these things are tied together in Scripture. It's amazing. Later, in this whole story of Genesis even, there'll be another famine that will lead Abram's descendants back to Egypt. that will work out a little bit differently. But right, right here, what we see is Abram is about to enter Egypt, and he realizes there's a particular danger to him there. And thus, there's a particular danger to the promises of God that he's given him in verses 1 through 3. And so he says to his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. Now, men, here's a line that will make your wives swoon, right? Valentine's Day is coming up next month. Just get a card, write that on there. You should be good to go. It's a good start, but... Doesn't, doesn't end very well. Well, why is that a big deal? Why is it a big deal that his wife is beautiful in appearance? Verse 12, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. His fear is that his wife is so beautiful that someone will off him in order to have her. And so here's his scheme. Say you're my sister. Because then instead of killing me, they will actually treat me well for your sake. That would probably go over less good with your wife, men, right? I can assure you of that. Now, I want you to understand this is not a total lie. In point of fact, Sarai is his half-sister. They share one parent. So that's a whole different story. We're not going to get into that today, but... It is a sort of half-truth that he's telling here. But that truth, if you will, is clearly intended to deceive. And in the context of the story, we are meant to understand it as intentional deception. So here's the point of chapter 1. Abram's fear of man eclipsed his faith in God, and that led him to be deceptive. In other words, that led him to sin. Whatever his motivations, whether he excused in his mind his desire to save his own skin by thinking he needed to protect the promise of God, or if he just thought, look, I just don't want to die. I've got to do something about this. You could say that he feared man more than he feared a holy God. And as soon as his primary focus was on how do I make sure I survive Egypt, he was necessarily off of obedience to God. Do you want to know if you fear man more than you fear God? Do you want to know if you fear man more than you have faith in God in some circumstance? Let me ask you this. Are you willing to sin to ensure that you get what you want? Are you willing to sin to ensure you get what you want? Because if you're willing to sin in order to succeed, then your concern is not about faith in the Lord. As soon as your mind starts with, what can I do to ensure success, rather than what can I do to be obedient, you have already lost. Your heart is already for something else, for an idol. For Abraham, success was survival. For us, success might be making sure we get good reviews at the end of the year at work or ensuring that our kids act appropriately around other church people especially, right? Or it could be fitting in with a particular group of friends or coworkers. or it could be growing a ministry or a church. What you'll notice is I've picked those things particularly... Because they are not in and of themselves bad things. And I did that on purpose. Abraham not wanting to die is not necessarily a bad thing, right? I don't know about you, I would rather not die today, right? Right? But as soon as we switch from obedience to to success as the primary focus, it opens the door for us to deceive ourselves into thinking that we are doing what is in the best interest of God and God's plan, when in fact we're doing what's in the best interest interest of our own plan. I can imagine Abram thinking to himself, don't worry, God, don't worry about your promises. I, I got a solution for this. I got you covered, God. Besides, it's not really lying. Deceived himself before he ever deceived Pharaoh. And the worst part about this sort of thing in our lives is, at least initially, often, we do succeed. Where it seems that obedience would have failed. It fools us even more. And so chapter two is this, even when disobedience succeeds, it fails. Even when it succeeds, it fails. The story plays out as Abram expected, right? He knows, he knows he's got a hot wife. And they find her beautiful, and they take her to Pharaoh, and he gets paid handsomely for it. In fact, you could say that it worked out even more than he expected. It's Pharaoh himself who wants his wife not just some other egyptian this is gone as expected and there's a clue of this in the text that we should understand that we should understand it that way in verse 13 abraham says say you are my sister that it may go well with me and in verse 16 the same word is used for her sake he dealt well with abram so the text is saying this went exactly how abram expected it to. And they did, in fact, deal well with him. Everything went according to his plan, but now he's lost his wife through whom God intended to give him offspring that will inherit this land. What good is saving his life to the promise of God when his wife is queued up to sleep with Pharaoh, not him? Here's the point. When we attempt to preserve success rather than pursue obedience, we may succeed in one arena or we may have temporary success, but we will fail miserably in another, often more important arena, and we will fail in the long run. We justify our disobedience and cover up our lack of faith with reasoning that sounds motivated by good things, but it's really disguising our idols. We say, I need to work this overtime to support my family, and we do do that, and we get the reward of seeing that check or buying that thing for our family, but our real motivation is that we don't trust God to provide for us. Our real motivation is that we find our value in our bank account or in our possessions And maybe what our family really needed is more of our presence, not more of our money. And we communicate to them that they aren't as valuable as a check. And so we ultimately fail. Or we say, if I talk to that friend about their sin, it will hurt their feelings, it will hurt them, or it'll hurt our community or our friend group or whatever. And so we avoid it and everything gets smoothed out for a while. It seems like it works, but the reality is we don't want to risk our own acceptance. That's why we're motivated in that way. I don't want to risk my own, I, can't, I don't want to be rejected myself. Or we don't want to risk that that can of worms might ruin our comfort. So we don't say anything and their sin grows and it hurts them even more and it hurts our community even more because what they needed all along was a friend who loved them enough to call them out and hold them accountable. What they needed was to be more like Christ. But we wouldn't do that because we felt like we needed more comfort. We fear man We fear losing our security, we fear losing our control, we fear losing our approval, we fear losing our comfort, we fear that more than we trust God to work things out. We fear that more than we desire God, the same God who promises us so much and who has done so much for us. We are constantly looking for a shortcut and what we end up getting is a short circuit, And what do we do now? Friends, this is the good news. This is the good news. Chapter three. God can pull us out of our messes. God can pull us out of our messes. Thankfully, we serve a big God that's fully capable of preserving his promises to his children, even when they mess it up chapter 17 opens, but the Lord. Is there a better phrase in the Bible than but the Lord or but God or but Jesus, right? Abram messed it all up and put things in greater danger than they were before, but the Lord, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Again, foreshadowing, am I right? This time, however, a pharaoh gets the message. We aren't told how, and, and it's irrelevant really to the purpose of the story, but, but whatever, and whatever means that he realizes this, he realizes that the plagues are because he has another man's wife in his house, and unfaithfulness has consequences. Even a pagan ruler gets that. Even a pagan ruler understands the implication of the text here is that God prevented anything physical from happening between the two. See, listen, as a side note, married folk, when you allow non-physical unfaithfulness into your life, sexually alluring media, a bit of flirting, a little corner of my thoughts, it has consequences Even if you don't do anything. Even the pagan rulers know that. So God leads Pharaoh to give her back. And there are two ironies here I want you to see. First, first irony is this. It's Pharaoh who does what is obedient. It's Pharaoh who does what obedience demands in giving back Abram's wife. See, the way out of the pickle that disobedience creates isn't more indifferent disobedience. How often in my life have I got myself in a pickle because I've been disobedient and I've thought, you know, the way out of this is just to do this other disobedient thing. If I just do that, then it'll fix it, you know, like the old adage to uh, wrongs don't make a right or whatever they say. It's being obedient despite the pickle you are in. That is the solution. Typically, typically, this ends up more costly, however, not because of your newfound obedience being wrong in some way, but because of the continuing consequences of your past disobedience. You may find this to be a tough pill to swallow. I know I have. You may want to turn to God and say, look, God, I'm being obedient now. What gives? Now that I'm being obedient, I thought everything is supposed to go perfect. You might turn to someone else and you say, look, I'm trying to be obedient. And now, don't you see that I've changed? Listen, our consequences for our sin, they follow us for some time. And the way out is not different disobedience. It's to stay obedient and trust that God will put it back together. God can change a circumstance in the drop of a hat. His desire is to use that circumstance to change you. He's more concerned with changing you than changing your circumstances. God pulling us out of our messes is more about cleaning up our disobedient hearts than fixing our difficult situations. The second irony is this. Abram retains all the wealth he gained in Egypt. We would expect at this point, right, you, if I'm, I'm reading this passage this week or, or, or whatever, and, I'm, and I get to this point, and I would expect Pharaoh to go, look, here's your wife. Get out of here. Give me this stuff back. But that's not what happens. He gives him orders sends him away with his wife and all the things that he had. Now, I want you to understand that this doesn't show us that crime pays, all right? That's not the point of the story here. You know, hey, crime pay. you know, worked out. Point is, That for those whom God calls, for for those whom God has promised things, for those who are God's people, even when they mess it up, even when there can be consequences to their mistakes, he still blesses them. Listen, Christian, you are a child of God. And like most children, you screw things up. You do things you ought not to. And there are consequences for those things. But I want you to understand that if you are God's child, He still blesses you. Because He's an amazing, merciful, gracious God. Not because you deserve it. And that's the point of this part of the story Abram didn't deserve to walk away with anything, but God gave it to him anyway. It is God's unmerited favor on Abram and his unmerited favor towards those whom he has chosen and he has called. Despite Abram's lack of faith in the present moment, God still rewards him. Ultimately, He still rewards his ultimate faith in God's promises. Listen, don't let your fear of man eclipse your faith in the Lord. Here's the resolution of this thing. We mess this up. You mess this up. We will, in the future, mess this up again, right? You feared man over God, and it's led you to make some bad decisions. I'm quite confident that that's the case, and I'm quite confident that's the case in my own life, too. Here's what I want you to know. God can pull you out of your messes. That's the business that he is in. And maybe you think, even if God helps me figure this out, it will, be, it will at best be a salvage job. It will be, you know, like I'll just have the pieces left over. No, God will pull you out and he can take it and turn it into riches. He can turn your mistakes into riches. That's what he does. And the reason we know he can do this is because Jesus came and Jesus did not fear man. Am I right? Instead, he became man, obeyed God all the way to the cross and his death. And God turned that into greater riches for us, the disobedient, than we could ever imagine. And then he exalted Jesus as Lord over everything Jesus came into our mess to pull us out of our messes. That's the promise of Genesis 12. Why would we allow the fear of man to eclipse the faith that we have in that Lord? And so here's here's your bottom line for today. Here's the point of the sermon. Don't let fear of man eclipse your faith in the Lord. Don't let it. Happen. And listen, I want you to understand that faith in the Faith in the Lord, faith in that promise makes all the difference right here and right now in the circumstance, in the situation you are in. If you are in that moment where it seems like the sun is eclipsed, I want you to know that this faith is what matters most in that moment. It changes our perspective when the eclipse comes. Rather than fear, the fear that comes with the sun being blotted out, we trust it enables us to remember just how much bigger the sun is than the moon. It enables us to remember the brevity of the situation. And that in a few moments, this thing could look totally different. And then to live according to that reality. When these eclipse moments happen in our lives, we think it's, it's all well and good that God makes these promises to us for eternity. But what's he doing to help me right now on earth? I want you to grasp something. I want you to grasp that the eternal promise of God is more than a concrete reality for us then. It's a concrete reality for us now. It is the exact thing we need in the difficult circumstances we face face today. It is our hope. Son, sun is 400 times bigger than the moon, not the other way around. We need to remember that sometimes. From the perspective of all of time and space, the eclipse of your life right now is so very momentary. And as legitimately dark as it can be right now, there is... A light that cannot be extinguished. And it still shines. It shined on Abram. And it shines on us. No circumstance will change that. It's the truth that grounds us in our fearful moments. Friends, don't let the fear of man eclipse your faith in the Lord. Let's pray.